The following podcast is presented by Together Washington. Together Washington, we are seeking to build bridges across divides and tell the inspiring stories of those building the common good. If you'd like to support or get involved with Together Washington, go to togetherwashington.com. Excited to have King County Councilwoman Kathy Lambert with us. She is, represents District 3, and she has been a county councilwoman for 20 years and now is seeking her sixth term and is coming up to re-election here in November. And we'll talk about all the what's happening with the re-election as well as some of the uh, hot topics here in the county. But Kathy, welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. It's great to have you. And Hey, you, you made it past the primary, and, and now you, you move on to the general election. How, how are you feeling? Great. Great. It is a wonderful district to represent, and we are in exciting times with lots happening that is new and a really important time for people to have experienced people at the helm because we are doing things that need to be done, even under some pretty amazing circumstances. And uncharted waters. We've never been through a pandemic together. And so we've learning a lot and trying to make sure that people know where they can get the information and having the networks available where I can call people and say, okay, let's get these people on Zoom and let me explain to them the newest information. And early on, we were spending between 12 and 16 hours a day um, on different Zoom calls trying to get out the information so that people would know in the very beginning of the pandemic what we knew and what we were looking at and to try to help people and to listen to people on what their needs were so that we could organize different groups or the county or the state to be able to work together and try to supply as many needs as quickly as possible. Now you're in District Three. Just for our listeners who aren't in District Three, this is this is Woodenville, Redmond, Sammamish. This is a it's a it's a large territory that you represent. Almost half of King County, isn't that right? That is correct. I have almost half the landmass. I have one thousand one hundred and seven square miles, and um, I have. We all have. 254,000 people approximately, but I have about 7,000 more and than we are assigned to have. And then during the next redistricting, which will be happening in the next couple months, I will lose 7,000 people because my district has grown so large. And I like to think it's because my district is so wonderful. <laughs> yes, you have a great district. And I tell you, I you know, a few of the elections you've had in the past, you were, you ran unopposed, and, that, and now, you, of course, you have an opponent, and it's going to probably, you have to probably do a little more door knocking maybe than you've done in the past, right? <laughs> oh, no. I still work hard even on the years when I don't have an opponent because that's how you build your relationships and your networks, and you hear from different people, and so... I, I figured out the other day, I think I've been in 105 parades. And so getting to walk through the parades and talk to people and go doorbelling and having town halls and just all the different ways that you can meet people during the years. And then when things come up, you have a very good idea about, oh, that person told me at the coffee shop that they needed such and such, or that person said, this is a problem in their area. I'll get them to come and testify about that. So it's an everyday listening and hearing and 
putting it in your brain that this is what somebody over here needs so that when the opportunity comes up to get them the money or to get the project, then you can say, I know where that could go and how we can do it. So um, it's exciting. Well, you certainly must have your parade wave down, don't you? <laughs> well, let's just say I'm not sure the queen would approve of the, my wave. <laughs> I'm more, I'm just glad to see you kind of wave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, tell us your your opponent. Give us the maybe two or three kind of biggest differentiations between you and your opponent. Well, I'd say the biggest thing is that she's trying to make what the citizens had said. They wanted it to be a nonpartisan office. And that is exactly the way that we've run the office is in a nonpartisan way. And she wants to make it partisan. And that just puts more power back into the Seattle ways of doing things. And people out in my area and in many other parts of the county, including a lot of people I know in Seattle, are not very happy with the way Seattle's going. And if you look at her endorsers, there are a lot of Seattle endorsers endorsing her. So I think that's one of the issues. And then her views on how things went in the last legislative session, that um, all the laws that they changed on police and the police duties, um, she thinks are wonderful. And if you've talked to a policeman lately, they will not tell you it's wonderful. And the fact that they say that what they passed means one thing, but the police think it is another, and they've asked the AG for an opinion, and apparently the AG has not been willing to get the opinion out. So we're in this limbo land where the police don't feel that they can do what they used to do to help people in crisis and that they are having their hands tied, which is why we are having a lot of retirements and a lot of people leaving um, the police departments because the reason that most policemen tell me that they went into police work was to serve their community and to be able to protect people. And with the new laws that they have to have a preponderance of the evidence, they have to see somebody do the crime, um, has really limited their ability to investigate quickly. And I know that there's a lot of citizens who are very frustrated by the fact that the police are having to say, you know, we're not allowed to do that anymore. And um, it's, it's very sad to see um, how this time of limbo has been created. And so those are two of the biggest differences. And the other is that she doesn't respect the idea that, um, like any profession, if you've done it for a while, you learn things, you build networks, you understand the consequences of things. And sometimes she'll say things and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, the 17 consequences of those that aren't good. Um, and so it isn't always about sound bites. It's about what actually happens on the ground and how it works. And so there's a very big difference there. Yeah. You know, speaking of, you know, the police department, of course, here in Seattle, the Seattle police department, we've lost over 20% of our, of our force um, over the yeah. past year. Um, also, you know, things that are not going well, you know, as you mentioned, speaking of, you know, around homelessness, of course, that that's just a, obviously everyone is talking about that and has been for quite a long time. And King County, um, you know, along with the city have developed this, you know, the regional approach and, and just you made a new made a new hire to to that new agency here recently. How is that going? Well, as you said, um, it's new, and it had a very rough first-year start. 
Um, but I think that they are getting on track. And um, we are supposed to be meeting with Mark, who's the new director, to be able to talk about how are we going to do things in different parts of the county. Um, there are very different parts of the county in how they approach homelessness and what their community norms are. And so I think respecting that is really important. I know Bellevue has put some things together on that. I know South County has put some things together on their community norms um, and my part of the county, East County. Um, so each part is talking about how are we willing to be kind and helpful, and yet we don't want rampant crime. We don't want things happening on the streets that are not appropriate. We want civility. And so how do we make all those things work? The other thing that's interesting is that we are not building the number of housing units that we need to be building. And about a year and a half ago, I um, chaired a symposium where I was going to invite 20 people who were builders, who were permitters, who were bankers, and some experts in housing to say, what do we need to do to be able to build more housing more quickly? Because with the housing shortage, the best way to get over the shortage is to build more. So it's not rocket science. And so I invited 20 people. And by the time the meeting was held, I assumed we'd have like a drop off of maybe 15 people. Well, the people told other people, and we ended up with like 43 or 46, I can't remember, um, people showing up at this meeting, which was delightful. And they had lots and lots of good ideas. So we went and took a list of the ideas that they had and worked on getting those implemented. And then, you know, one of the things that the builders said is we have the reputation of building good quality homes in your areas. And so, you know, let us do it. And so I am hoping that the executive will do a pilot where he will say, here's some land and get the builders together to build in this area and challenge the other cities who have just gotten their new growth targets to say when they are going to build their growth targets over the next 10 years so that we can get as many new houses on the ground as possible. And I've really looked at a lot of different kinds of housing, like cottage housing and courtyard housing. And, of course, we still haven't gotten the state to fix the, the problems with duplex housing, uh, which is unfortunate. They've tried to improve it at the state level, but unfortunately they haven't got it far enough. So... A lot of builders aren't, still aren't building duplexes, which is unfortunate because getting people into home ownership is how people attain most of their wealth. And I am very interested in getting our home ownership numbers, uh, which are around 60% right now, up to where they used to be at 80%. So that is an important change that has happened over the last couple of years. You mentioned that you just made a, the higher um, you hired the new executive director for the agency. Is it someone mentioned that he doesn't live in in the area? He lives on the East Coast or something. Is that true? Um, I'm not sure where he lives. Um, he may have lived on the East Coast, but I'm sure that he's um, here now. And um, he's working very hard to put together a team. We had a Zoom meeting with him not too long ago where he introduced his new team and um, gave their credentials, and it seemed like he was choosing people that are hopefully going to be able to get the job done. We have an ability as a council 
to pull out of this organization if it does not um, become successful in a period of time. And um, so we will be monitoring that very carefully. I am so thrilled to have King County Councilwoman Kathy Lambert with us today. She represents District 3 and has for 20 years and is up for re-election this November. And Kathy, I, I would imagine, and I'm curious, when you look at your 20 years on the council, you, you've seen certainly so many changes. And, you know, our whole region has has radically changed in a lot of good ways and perhaps maybe not good ways. When I ask you, like, what, what are those things that stand out to you over your 20 years and how you've seen things change, whether they, they are really positive changes or maybe more challenging ones, what, what comes to your mind? Well, a lot of things come to my mind. Um, but first of all, most people don't realize we're the 12th largest state in the United States out of over 3,000. And we're larger than six states. And so they, a lot of people don't know that we have an airport, that we have ownership of a hospital, that we do all kinds of different services. And so the breadth of what we cover is huge. And sometimes when people look at the list, they're going, I had no idea you do all those things. So I think the thing that's exciting to me is how many things we've been able to redo, refresh, modernize. So for instance, um, I I'm very interested in making the court system be more person-oriented and not so much process and paperwork, but how can we help the person who goes to court to get the services they need? Because most of the people going to court have a drug problem, an alcohol problem, or a mental health problem. And so if we're going to break the, the cycle of crime, we have to break those three. And it's kind of a tough love thing. How do we get people the services they need? And I used to help work in a drug rehab for a while, and I actually lived on site. And so I got to live between between one and 60 drug addicts um, in the premises with me. And so I really heard a lot of impassioned stories of trauma and a lot of pain. And so helping people get through that. And so it's been my passion to help people to get through their traumas and get the right services to them. And it breaks my heart when I go into the jail and I see so many people in there who are addicted and really need that help and services. So being able to bring the services to the community court, which I started as a pilot project with Judge Tucker. And so we started in Redmond Court, and now it's available in five courts in the county to be countywide. And basically, we bring services to people. And the exciting thing is that we brought the services into the library, and we did the court in the library in Redmond. And so people could come and find out from the judge what they needed to do, and then go next door and sign up for those services. And one week, we had 74 people who were not even required to come to the service center, but knew the service center was there that came on their own and said, whatever their problem is, I'm a drug addict and I need this help or I need food or whatever. And all the services were there to network and help them. And it was very exciting to see. So community court is a huge change that I'm proud of and excited about. 
Um, I went to the Court of the Future conference in San Diego years ago and saw all the possibilities and came home and said, we have got to stop, start implementing these programs. And it was really um, controversial to think about doing remote court and all these other things that I saw at the Court of the Future. And now we have you know, the judge told me that we wouldn't have really gotten through pandemic as well as we did if we didn't already have that infrastructure to build on. So seeing the technology come about, um, so many of our our uh, traffic tickets are online. And then also we've now put 85% of our building permits online and um, just modernizing and using technology, which is very exciting. And then one of the things that as a council we have decided and as a member of the budget committee to keep the highest credit rating we possibly could, which was so hard during the recession. And we made a lot of sacrifices to be able to do that. But just last week, having such a high credit rating, we refinanced one of our bonds and we were able to save $90 million over the life of that bond. So having a high credit rating, just like for people, makes a difference in what your credit um, will do and what you can get for your interest rate. So saving $90 million is a good thing. And then the other thing that has been a big change is that Patty Hayes, who I think deserves a medal and, and angel status, was the lead at public health when the pandemic started. And she and I worked with the legislature on a foundational public health model. And it turns out that now the legislature has decided that that's important now that the pandemic has hit. But unfortunately, it was not accepted earlier, um, but we did inform them so that when this hit, they knew that we had all the information ready to go. So seeing foundational public health being implemented, um, seeing the court of the future, seeing the services coming to the courts, these are all exciting things. And I'm just really proud that I was part of them. Fantastic. And when you think about, you know, and of course you had to make the decision, am, am I going to continue on and, and, and continue on in the council and run for a reelection again? Absolutely. Well, most people who know me um, say that I have more energy than most people um, because I only sleep four to six hours a day. And um, I am type A personality, which people don't take too long to figure that out. And there's a lot of big decisions before us. So the citizens decided at the last election that they wanted our elected sheriff to become an appointed sheriff. So we have to find um, who that person is going to be. And then the other part of the election was that we would rewrite what are the duties of the sheriff. And the state law calls out six duties in the RCW. And it's very important that citizens know that as a home rule Tartar County, we can wipe out all six of those and do all of our own, or we can keep all six and add more. Um, but it's going to be very important that citizens are tuned in. And I, in my opinion, the six that the state law has, like the sheriff will go to court when requested, that they will issue warrants, very basic things. It's just six sentences. Um, I believe we need to keep all six so it's uniform across the the entire state. But then if we want to add more things, like we want more counselors to go with the officers, that's fine. But I think it's really important that we keep the same foundation that the rest of the state has. 
and then build on what we want to build on. So that's going to be an important discussion because I know that some of the council members would like to get rid of some of the ones that are already enumerated in state law. We have a clean water plan that I'm the chair of, and we're doing a lot of research. The um, state has just told us that they are going to be bringing in new, new nutrient codes and the initial sticker shock was that those new codes could be a 400%, 400% increase in costs. That's frightening. So, you know, how are we going to navigate that? And looking with how we can work on those programs and do the best job we can. And I think it has to do a lot with bringing in technology from um, other places in the world. I've seen some technology in Hamburg and some technology in Copenhagen, and I've talked to some people that have technology in Switzerland that I think would be very helpful to keeping some of those costs down. And so bringing in experts that I've met um, in the last couple of years, and again, part of the networking is you meet people who are experts that when these things come up, that you can say, okay, I need you and I need you and I need you. And that doesn't happen overnight. So I'm excited by all the big decisions ahead and um, wanting to be at the table to represent the people of this county. You know, speaking of King County, I wanted to ask you, uh, Councilwoman, so you know, it was earlier this year towards the beginning, you know, President Biden, he said, hey, there's no way I will ever uh, mandate vaccines. Um, of course, things have changed since then. Um, and of course, things are different now. King County uh, yesterday announced uh, a new vaccination requirement. And I'm just curious your thoughts on this. You know, it's interesting. The Seattle Times, they they tweeted out today. Um, I don't know if you saw this or not, but in in kind of response or not in response, but essentially in, in sharing, you know, the new uh rules that are coming down the pike and and they basically asked are you going to need a vaccine to get groceries soon question mark and of course we're you know entering into some new territory here and just you know i i, I know i i talked to friends and people many who are vaccinated who are concerned about the direction that we're going and, and where this could possibly take us as a as a county and as a society so you, you've hit on a really sensitive, hard, confusing topic, but um, I definitely see that we have to follow the health standards, but it is not one size fits all. I have a dear friend whose family, dad, and then a couple of weeks later, aunt, had a shot, and both of them ended up having heart problems and dying. Um, both of them unexpectedly young, no other problems. And so their cardiologist said, nobody else in the family should get the shot. And he called me and said, what am I going to do? And I'm like, you know, you have to do what you have to do for your family. And if, you know, you've lost two members of your family, this is not Russian roulette. So we have to have a policy and a plan for those people who, whatever their medical problems or issues are, that we respect that. We do not want to do any harm. The whole point of, of doctoring and medicine is do no harm. 
And so we need to have a process. And what my friend told me was the doctor said he was afraid to sign any paperwork because he didn't want to get in trouble with the government. So whether that's real or not real, we have got to be clear to the medical profession that you're not going to be in trouble. You're not going to lose your license. You're not going to have any complications. That if there's a family like this family, that, you know, you do need to let us know because we don't want to do any harm. And, you know, I asked my friend, you know, is your family willing to wear a mask? And he said, of course, my family's willing to wear a mask. We don't want to get it and we don't want to give it. So I think having a path to both, we have got to be really clear to continue to wash our hands, um, you know, to try to be as careful as possible. But I, too, am concerned, you know, and, and this is what my friend asked me. Will it get to the place where I can't go to work anymore? Who's going to bring me my food? Will I ever be able to socialize again? And so all those fears don't help our society. So we need to be really clear. And I am sad that, you know, the executive under his continuing um, executive emergency powers, you know, made these decisions without coming to the council. We were not asked about what we thought about this. We didn't have any hearings about it. It was just announced. So um, we had... I think it was eight minutes notice before the hearing um, that that's what was before the announcement um, that that was going to happen. And so anyway, it's, it's very hard. We, the executive said today on the radio that, you know, if this continues that we may have to um, go back into lockdown. That's very frightening. Um, All of us who've gone through that do not want to go through that again. So we have to be really aware. And one of the things that I heard on the, on the radio again today was that most people think that 50% or more of the people who get COVID end up in the hospital. And according to the radio, I haven't checked it out, um, but one of the radio hosts said, no, the actual answer is between 1% and 5%. Again, I did not check that data out, but I did hear it on the radio today. So, you know, we need to be looking at, okay, this is happening, but... You know, how do we deal with it in ways where we say that person does go to the hospital, but we can do it at home with these people? And how can we use the hospitals a little differently so that there are beds available for other surgeries? When you see cancer patients who are saying that it isn't uh, mandatory for their treatments and so they can wait, um, other people that are going to have surgery scheduled that are in pain, Um, that their surgeries have been postponed, it has an impact on a lot of people. And so I think the hospital association has done a really good job of how do they deal with this and share hospital beds across the state. But a lot of the hospitals are getting close to capacity. So how do we arrange all that? And it's all about networking, sharing, talking, and being really open on what are the adverse complications of doing this. The one thing I was glad to see and that I had said earlier on when we were talking about this is we need a time limit on this. We need to be able to say this isn't going to go on forever, hopefully, and that we need interim places to say, do we scale up? Do we scale back? So in the announcement, it said that this would go on for six months. And I think that's plenty of time to see, okay, what have we done in six months to be able to say we We've changed this. That we don't have to worry about beds not being available for hospitals or, or these things have happened or this variant has come or it hasn't come. So there's, this is like walking through, through some quicksand because there's lots of things that happen along the way that you have to decide 
how do we deal with this piece of information that was new from the day before, the week before, the month before. Um, Certainly, we didn't think that the delta would be as strong as it is over what the alpha was. So um, hopefully that we can do what we need to do as a community to keep each other safe and that the delta will go away. In my district, we coordinated really well. We were one of the first to sign up to get the vaccines after the target district, which was um, decided that the part of King County that has the lowest um, longevity rate. So there's a part of King County that people who live there on average live 10 years less than people in the rest of the county. So it was decided that that group would be the first to get the vaccine. So once we had gotten the vaccine into that that area, then my district was one of the next ones to come back out and get vaccines. So we are up to 87% of the people in my district who are vaccinated um, with at least one dose. And so there's about 8,000 in my district who have not been vaccinated. So as we get those numbers down, then we can start looking at what are the issues for each of these people and how do we help them to deal with you know, what is coming next, which we obviously don't know what's coming next, but how can we help them to be able to continue to go to work or buy their food or be with their friends and family and still be healthy? So some of the people of the 8,000 are people that may have said, I'm going to wait until the vaccine is um, fully certified. And some may have said, you know, I'm going to wait for this or that. And they may be in the queue for getting their first or second dose. So we will be looking at the data continuously. And we have a dashboard on the King County website under public health. So hopefully those numbers will continue to come down as far as is acceptable to the individual. And then work with the other individuals to say, is there a a family medical issue here or an individual medical issue? How do we get you the certification for that, and what is that going to look like? So these these are big, important questions, and um, it's exciting to be on the front end and trying to decide how we can do what we need to do and do it first for the majority of people, but then we have to look at the people left behind. How do we get them so that they, too, can be safe and be back in society? I think having you know the idea that the testing is more immediate and so that people can, you know, take a test. And now we're hoping that there'll be some home tests where people can just take the home test or whatever and then be able to go out to do the things they need to do so that, you know, they're comfortable, other people are comfortable. So I think the technology will catch up with this. And um, hopefully that will make it easier for people to move around carefully and safely. So yeah. I hope that 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 will help a lot. But you are correct that um, these are unprecedented. Telling people you have to put a certain thing in your body, um, you know, locking people down, all of those are unprecedented. And that's one of the reasons why I'm very pleased that there is a six-month limit on this stage. And hopefully we will be able to reevaluate. And hopefully by then that we will not be under executive orders where, um, you know, even the council members aren't able to give input so that we will then be able to have the citizens come in. I'm putting a survey out 
um, tomorrow in my district saying, asking a lot of the national questions to see where my district falls in their opinions on all these topics. Um, so I think it's important that we listen to our, our constituents. We follow the science. Nobody wants more people to die. And so as the death numbers come down um, and we have amazing um, people in our county that are following the data, and I think that that's going to be really important that, that we see how severe the cases are. And, you know, I remember when polio was a big deal and how scared all of us were and how we all went and got our polio shots. And, you know, now we just take those shots, you know, as as a normal thing and we've er eradicated polio. So, you know, we'll have to see how this all plays out. But I'm, I'm thankful that I had that experience of seeing a disease like that um, go through the process of being eradicated pretty much. So hopefully we will see this eradicated and the sooner the better. We have a listener who is an MD and focuses on preventative, uh, a preventative approach. And, mm. and in response to some of the measures that are coming down by the government, uh, they, they emailed and said, and again, this is, this is going to be controversial. So, um, brace yourself. <laughs> okay. Um, said it would be better if the government enforced weight loss mandates for the obese. It would reduce overwhelming the healthcare system, cut back on chronic disease. So less medications and overall healthier society. The obese are at a much higher risk of severe infection from COVID, but folks would be outraged if the government enforced such mandates, but this would actually be helpful for our country. So, um, that's very interesting, and he's he's not inaccurate. Um, one of the things that we found out is that people who have one of, one or all of the three um, diabetes that's not under control, high blood pressure that's not under control, and obesity that they are more likely to get the disease and to be sicker. So one of the things that I suggested when remember when we were getting the shots and mats and you had to wait whatever it was ten or fifteen minutes before you could leave. I suggested that we have a brochure at that point that says, um, you know, if you have one of these three, here's what services are available in the county and resources. If you'd like to sign up, here, sign up, so that we could then begin to start working in various communities on those three. And he is correct. Those three getting under control um, as a society, not only with this disease, but with many diseases. Um, and, you know, we know the long-term effects of people who don't have their diabetes under control um, and also with high blood pressure and, and obesity. I'm dealing with some family issues right now. And um, one of my family members broke their sacrum and we were commenting that I'm really glad that this person lost so much weight because, you know, moving them with a broken sacrum um, would have been much more difficult. And I hadn't really thought about that until we were dealing with this. And so, you know, keeping our bodies healthy and in good shape has so many ramifications. And um, I think that is a good long-term thing for us to look at as a society and as a county. Yeah. And his, his other comment was he's you know, the vax, you know, because right now we have this divide, right, where the, the vaccinated are really, really upset 
with the unvaccinated, right? Including our president. Um, And, and it, and his comment was (laughs) that they actually, a lot, a lot of folks should move a lot of that rage to people who didn't, uh, you know, again, not everyone who's obese didn't take care of themselves. Right. Obviously, but there's a lot of unhealthy decisions that have been made that are have put us in the position that we're in this is what this md is saying and that a lot of that rage should actually be headed towards maybe a lot of people in our country who who simply uh did not take care of themselves well there's a lot of reasons for that and again victim blaming or saying you know that somebody should have done or should have done that um, it's not always helpful, but educating people that we care about you and we have these resources for you and here are the benefits. For instance, longevity, 10 years. You could live 10 years longer if you had these things under control. That's a motivator. And so then how can we as friends and family and, and community and, and government then go in and say, hey, if you're willing to work on these factors, we're willing to support you and help you. And I think, you know, people being mad at other people for your choices, you know, I can't be mad at, at somebody because they have a medical issue that they're afraid that they're going to die if they take this vaccine. I have to respect, and and frankly, it's really none of my business if they have a medical issue. And this is one of the things that's kind of surprising to me that the HIPAA laws haven't come in and said, what do you think you're doing here? Because under HIPAA, I'm not supposed to know anybody else's medical issues. So anyway, the idea that for whatever reason the person has chosen, that I have to respect that that's their choice. If I have a different opinion, I can educate them. I can help them get resources. But in the end, I have to respect their decision because I don't know their medical history or their current medical issues. So I think, you know, just being supportive and kind. And during this pandemic, we have found that over half the people have said that they are dealing with some some level of mental health issues. And if you know that half of the people are self-reporting in surveys that they're dealing with certain, you know, mental health issues that they normally don't have to deal with, I think it's so important that we just be kind to one another. And it's more important than ever that we be kind to one another. And so I think that will help people to understand, I do care about you. Here's the data that you're more likely to end up in the ICU unit, if you haven't been vaccinated, you're more likely for this. And then, you know, the person has to decide, as my friend, you know, they have a family issue and is the gamble of dying like their father and aunt um, a good gamble for them? And so, you know, now that it's become real, I've had, um, I have many friends who have had it and are dealing with what you just said about, you know, they have antibodies now because they've had it. I've had some friends that said it was like a flu and I've had others that have said, oh my gosh, I couldn't even get out of bed. And then of course I have three friends who have died. So it's the whole spectrum and, you know, it's the same disease. And yet here I have three dead friends and, you know, more friends that have said, yeah, no big deal, but you don't know where you're going to be on the spectrum. So um, anyway, I just hope that we will all do the best we can for ourselves in making the decisions and 
listening to our scientists, we are so lucky that we have the medical experts in our community who are involved in the decisions internationally. Um, so we have, you know, fresh information from people sitting at the table internationally guiding us. And so I'm very thankful for that. And um, again, just being respectful of each other's decision and listening to the science so that as it, it changes, that we can adapt in what decisions we do or do not make. That's a great, great word, Councilwoman. Be kind to one another and really appreciate the approach that you have and grateful for you taking the time to join us. Thank you so much for coming on with us. It was my pleasure. Anytime. And thanks for all you do helping to educate everybody and share all the knowledge that is sometimes changing minute by minute. So thank you very much for your role. Thank you so much. And we'll get you back on after you get reelected. Okay. Excellent. I have lots of things I want to do. So we'll talk about getting people um, to help me with some of the big projects that I have in mind. Let's, we'll, let's call it a guarantee. Sounds great. I'll All right. All right. Thanks Thank so you. Much. All right. That was mm-hmm. King County Councilwoman Kathy Lambert. Uh, she is going up her sixth time for re-election this November, District 3. So thank you to her for joining us. 